Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you here at the Vista. If we have not met before, my name is Austin Fisher. I am one of our lead pastors. Before we jump in, uh, one quick bit of housekeeping. As most of you are aware, one of our elders, Byron Weathersby, uh, moved back to Waco a few months ago. And so since then, we've been kind of patiently, prayerfully considering who we would like to nominate uh, as an elder to replace Byron. And so we're really happy to tell you guys that after lots of prayer and many conversations, we are going to nominate Larry Locke as a candidate for elder here at the Vista. Now, Larry is, uh, we've got a picture of him and his wife, Lisa, there. He's a professor at UMHB's business school. Uh, They have been at the Vista for about six years, I think. They have been members. Larry has served our church in numerous capacities during that time, helped out a lot in our college ministry. He has preached for us on a number of different occasions on Sunday mornings. And he even rapped for us one time, and I have some proof, I think. You see the poor leper want to run a race screaming. You see me touching on him, but you don't know what it's meaning. You live your whole life afraid of unclean hands, spending every day washing your pans and avoiding the hams and being real careful about the places you stand. There. That will teach Austin and Dave to never go out of town at the same time. <clears throat> An elder who can rap. I think that probably rests his case. Um, no, Larry is a simply brilliant guy. But the thing I love about Larry is that he cares more about being faithful than he does about being brilliant and important. Uh, I'll never forget a few years back, I had a really difficult decision to make. And Larry gave me this piece of advice. He said, Austin, um, there are no ladders to climb there are only feet to be washed. You go out into the world and everybody wants to be important. You want to get more money, more status, more title, this and that. But that's not what Christian leadership is about. It's not about climbing ladders. It's about washing people's feet. And so we're really excited to present Larry as a candidate for elder because Larry knows that Christian leadership is about washing y'all's feet, some of which don't smell that good, and not just climbing ladders. As always, we give you guys two weeks to give us feedback on our candidate, uh, at which point, if all is well, Larry will roll on our elder board as our sixth elder here at the Vista. So if you've got any feedback, you can find me or Dave or any one of our elders. We would love to hear it. So today we are in the second week of our series called This Is Us, and it's a series that we really wanted to do before we moved into our new building expansion, because as we all know all too well, we can be a very forgetful people, can't we? I know I can be. And in particular, it's really easy for us as we move forward to forget who we are and where we came from. I was fortunate enough growing up to have a really, really close relationship with my grandparents. And so I spent thousands of hours over at their house at 903 Russell Street in Lufkin, Texas growing up. You know, climbing trees in their backyard, watching the, uh, the Andy Griffith show with my grandfather, drinking Coke floats with my grandmother, right? I, and still to this day, like it was a house they lived in for like 60, 65 years, their entire married life together. Simple house, but a house that was full of love and memories. And so my grandparents have since passed away. Uh, and about a year ago, we finally sold their house. But every time I'm back in Lufkin, I drive by their house on 903 Russell Street because it reminds me who I am and where I came from. It reminds me that no matter where I go in life, no matter what I accomplish, do, don't do, in my heart, I'm really just a simple East Texas boy who was raised to work hard, fight for what's right, be kind to people, and enjoy the occasional Coke float. Right? That's who I am and where I came from. And I need to remember it if I'm going to move forward faithfully. And as Dave mentioned last week, remembering so that you can move forward faithfully is one of the main themes in the biblical story. 
Anytime the people of Israel were about to face a big transition into a new land or a new form of government, whatever it was, God would always call upon them to remember, right? Remember the time I called Abraham. You remember the Exodus. You remember the covenant we made at Mount Sinai because remembering is the only way that you can move forward faithfully. And so a couple of months ago, we asked some elders and key leaders, hey, what are some things that you think we really need to remember as a church as we move forward. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about who we are as a church, the unique calling that God has placed on the Vista Community Church so that we can make sure we stay faithful to that as we move forward. And so today we're going to cover a passage that serves as one of those kind of foundational family origin stories for us as a church, a story that was passed down to me and that I want to pass down to my children and hope my children pass down to my grandchildren, their grandchildren's children, children, etc. So Mark 2 Verses 13 through 17 is where we'll be. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? The first four Gospels. It'll be up there on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible with you. Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. A pretty short text here. And so Jesus, he went out again by the seashore. And all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. Now as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, hey, you, follow me. And he got up and he followed Jesus. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Now when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, why is Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, and you're always in trouble when Jesus overhears you, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, But those who are sick, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the sinners. Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. So Jesus here is in the very early stages of his public ministry and he's experiencing enormous success, right? Huge crowds of people are following Jesus as he walks around the Sea of Galilee. And as he's walking around, he happens up upon this man named Levi, a tax collector who's sitting in his tax booth. Now, if you've, you've ever been to church before, then you've probably heard that tax collectors were not particularly popular people in the first century Jewish world. Though, to be fair, I don't know that they have ever been. Um, but they were very hated in the first century Jewish world because their job was to collect taxes for the Romans. Right? The very hated Romans who oppressed the Jewish people. And then on top of that, they were infamous for charging more than the required amount and then just pocketing the difference for themselves. And yet here's Jesus right, calling this well-known crook to be his disciple. And by gosh, the crook leaves his tax booth, starts following Jesus, and then things start to get very interesting. So it's unclear if the house that's mentioned here is Jesus' house, or to be more precise, his family's house, or whether or not it's Levi's house, right? The text is kind of unclear. It could be read either way, but it seems most likely that it was Jesus' house, and so here's the scene. Jesus is throwing this huge party at his house, and apparently there were a whole lot of sinners invited because apparently there were a whole lot of sinners who were following Jesus and I'm going to say that again so we just all collectively let it sink in all right a whole lot of sinners were following Jesus now in general the title of sinner was used by the Pharisees that is the hypercritical and conservative religious folks to describe someone who by their standards wasn't pure or holy enough Right, so according to Pharisees, sinners were people who were too loose with their morality, who weren't careful enough about avoiding sin. And so when the Pharisees see that Jesus is eating and drinking, that he's throwing a house party for sinners, they ask his disciples, what in the world is Jesus doing eating and drinking with sinners? They're, They're outraged. And while it's easy, 
and probably even a little necessary to vilify the Pharisees for their stuffy behavior, we should remember that they do have good biblical grounds for their perspective. Right? The Old Testament's filled with stuff like this. Leviticus 19.2, right? Well-known Old Testament text. God says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the Pharisees are just trying to get people to be holy like God said to. Or Psalm 1.1, first Psalm in the book of Psalms. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And we could go on and on here, but as you can see, Scripture is filled with commands to be holy and not sin. And so what is Jesus thinking, throwing a house party for sinners? Isn't he afraid that like their sinfulness is going to rub off on him? Isn't he worried that they might think he's condoning their behavior? Isn't Jesus worried about his reputation here? Well, notice how Jesus responds, verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to him, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Because I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. We find a similar account of Jesus' response from the Gospel of Matthew. If you've ever noticed, Matthew and Mark often report the same event, but they add different details in it. So here's what he says in Matthew 9, 12. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But I want you to go and learn what this means. I desired the compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of pretty well-known Christian thinkers tackled this issue of Jesus being a friend of sinners because they felt that it was being used to justify some really unethical behavior on the part of Christians. To be more specific, uh, they felt that Jesus' willingness to party with sinners was being used as an excuse for a lot of other people to party with sinners in really unhealthy and immoral ways. And so they sought to clarify that while Jesus did hang out with sinners, he only did so under very specific guidelines. So, for example, Joe Carter, not the baseball player, theologian, this is what he says. Since Jesus partied with sinners, we should do so too, but only when, number one, they're not engaging in sin, they're not actively sinning. Number two, we do so for the purpose of calling them to repentance. Then number three, when our presence does not condone sin or the mocking of God. Okay, so according to Carter, Jesus parted with sinners, sure, but only when they weren't actively sinning, only in order to call them to repentance, and only if his presence there would not be interpreted as him being okay with what they were doing. Similarly, Kevin DeYoung says, Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith in him. All right, so Jesus was a friend of sinners who partied with sinners so long as they were sorry for their sins and in the process of repenting. And you may have never thought about this before, but these people make some really, really important points. You know, because Jesus, Jesus was not just some bohemian hippie who threw raves at his house and provided shrooms for it because he only wanted everybody to have a great time. Okay, Jesus, not a bohemian hippie. No, Jesus came to the earth to call sinners to repentance, right? The very first sentence out of Jesus' mouth in the gospel of Mark ends with, therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. And so these guys are right. Jesus came to the earth to call sinners to repentance, not just to party with sinners. So they're right about that. But then they are wrong in basically everything else they say. Because nowhere does scripture indicate that Jesus would only hang out with sinners while they weren't sinning. I mean, what in the world does that even mean? I mean, if Jesus refused to be around sinners when they were sinning, then Jesus better just keep his perfect little self in heaven because the earth is filled with sinners. And get what sinners do, y'all. They sin all 
the time we sin. In fact, the incarnation of the Son of God, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? God's willingness to take on human flesh and become fully man testifies to God's willingness to come be around us sinners while we are sinning. And then this notion that Jesus would hang out with sinners only if they were sorry for their sins and in the process of repenting is even more ridiculous as if that was possible. Indeed, there's a sense that this idea that Jesus would only embrace sinners if they would first embrace Jesus is the exact opposite of the gospel, right? Because the gospel is not that Jesus will embrace you if you're first willing to embrace Jesus. No, the gospel is that you can embrace Jesus only because Jesus has always already embraced you. That's the gospel. And it couldn't be any clearer. And yet this, this pharisaical spirit, you know, this temptation to put conditions upon the love of God and tell sinners they have to clean up their act before they come to Jesus is a constant temptation for respectable religious people. And the longer we're in church, the more we're tempted to become respectable religious people. Not too long ago, a couple of our members told me this story that's just my favorite story in the whole world. They're hanging out at this event, and they overhear these people talking about the Vista. And this first person says, yeah, you know what I've heard? I've heard that a lot of those people who go to the Vista have never even been to a church before. (laughs) And the other person responds, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because I've heard that more than a few of them have done some time. (laughs) So let me just set the record straight here in case there's some uh, confusion on this particular matter. Uh, Yeah, we got a whole lot of people at the Vista who have never been to a church before. And yeah, we got a whole lot of people who have done some time. And we're always looking for more. If you know them, any, send them here. We'll baptize them. They can become an elder. All right? All right? But because nothing would make Jesus happier than filling that space up with sinners. Amen? And if we ever become a church that's not trying to fill this place up with sinners, then you need to ask for everybody's resignation. Start with Dave, but, but mine too. Everybody on our staff. Because we've become a church that Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with. We've become a respectable religious people country club, not a church. I remember playing golf with this guy. This was probably three weeks ago. And about hole three, and that's usually when it happens, he asks me what I do for a living, which is always fun. And so I tell him, I, I, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, oh, oh you're yeah, a pastor. Well, I, I, I'm a Christian, man. I believe in the big guy. You know, I live my life right. But no disrespect, I just can't do the organized religion thing. I said, oh, you know, no disrespect taken, man. But just out of curiosity, why, why can't you do the organized religion thing? He said, because all the hypocrites, man. I mean, you're a pastor. Don't you feel like your church is full of hypocrites? I said, no, no, my church isn't full of hypocrites. We got plenty of room for you too. (laughs) Because when it comes down to it, we're we're all hypocrites, right? We all fail to live up to our beliefs. We all stumble and make a mess of things. And so the problem isn't being a hypocrite. The problem is being unable to accept that you're a hypocrite. That's what makes you insufferable. Which brings us back to Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees here. Jesus and the Pharisees agree that holiness is important, but the Pharisees define holiness in terms of personal purity, whereas Jesus defines holiness in terms of kindness. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he refers to Hosea 6.6, and he says, hey, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. 
Right? Jesus refers the Pharisees back to that very Bible they knew so well. He says, yeah, you know it really well. You just don't know how to read it. <laughs> and in particular, you emphasize the wrong things. You're emphasizing strict rule following and personal purity. And Jesus says, look, holiness is very, very, very important. But this is what you got to understand. The kindest, holiest thing, the holiest thing you could ever do is be kind to sinners. Because kindness is the highest form of holiness. There's nothing holier than being kind to sinners. And of course, when we go a level deeper, we see that the real difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is that Jesus understands that kindness is more contagious than sin. And this is what drives the Pharisees crazy about Jesus. They're like, Jesus, how could you hang out with all these sinful people? Their sin's going to like get on you, man. And yet Jesus knows, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. They're not contaminating me with their sin. No, I'm contaminating them with my kindness. And one can't help but be reminded here of 1 Timothy 1.7, right? Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity and wimpiness, but of power and love and discipline. Right? Jesus knows that nothing can stand against the power that he's bringing to the table, the power that he's bringing to the party, and that's the power of infinite, indestructible, divine kindness. Not worry about their sin rubbing off on him. Come on. Which brings us to one last difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, along with really well-meaning but mistaken people like the two we mentioned earlier, they think that Jesus should witness to sinners, observe how they respond, and then embrace them if and only if they were willing to embrace Jesus. But instead of witnessing to sinners and then conditionally embracing them, Jesus witnesses to sinners by embracing them. Jesus doesn't you know, witness to a sinner and treat them like they're you know, a wild animal and see how they respond. No, Jesus just runs right in, man, and welcomes sinners in. That's how Jesus witnesses to sinners. And I don't know about you all, but that, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm a Christian. And I'm a Christian because I had Christian parents who loved me unconditionally, and it needed a lot of unconditional love when I was little. And I'm a Christian because when I was in sixth grade and was a complete heathen, this guy, he preached at our church a few months back. His name's Joel Parrott. He reached out to me, and he was my friend, and he befriended me and showed me unconditional love. That's why I'm here. Because in the gospel is not that Jesus will accept you if you accept Jesus. No, the gospel is that you can accept Jesus because Jesus has always already accepted you. Which brings us back to why this is a foundational origin story for our church, something we have to remember if we're going to move forward faithfully. Jesus Christ was the holiest person who ever walked the face of the planet, right? Only sinless person. And yet people still accused him of being a scoundrel who drank too much, hung out with sinners too much, and had a very questionable reputation. That was Jesus. And so here's my wonder. When's the last time somebody accused you of hanging out with sinners too much? See what I'm getting at here? Has it been a long time? Has it ever happened? Because if it's been a long time, or it's never really happened, and I think we have to ask ourselves if we're really following Jesus very well. Because there's just no way to imitate Jesus' radical embrace of sinners and not bother hypercritical religious people. And perhaps even more to the point, if you were to throw a party for sinners, do you think any of them would even show up? Like, Are you living the sort of outrageously kind and hospitable life where sinners love to be around you because they know they're loved by you? Do sinners love to hang out with you or where they go, oh, God, the fish has invited us to dinner again. 
they're going to make us watch The Passion of Christ for the 15th time, man. <laughs> like, ah, we'll just pretend we're Christians and convert so we can stop watching The Passion of the Christ, right? Because sinners, y'all, sinners loved being around Jesus, didn't they? You got every page of the gospel, you see there's always a bunch of sinners tagging around with Jesus and the Pharisees are like, no, you're in trouble. You should do that. Jesus, sinners love being around Jesus. And what does it say about Jesus that any time he threw a party for sinners, it was a full house, man. They had to go make a run for something whenever Jesus threw a party for sinners because everybody showed up. And when it really comes down to it, every party's a party for sinners, right? Yeah. Every party I have ever thrown or been to was a party for sinners and filled with sinners. And Vista, this is what we have got to remember as we move forward. And we're tempted to become respectable religious people in a country club together. We are a church for sinners that's filled with sinners. Thank God he doesn't leave us there, but that's where it starts. We're a church for sinners and we're a church filled with sinners. And we know it and we embrace it and we gladly embrace a bad reputation because it means we're being faithful to our master Jesus Christ the friend of sinners and I hope that when people think about the vista you know now 10 years from now 100 years from now I hope people think about the vista and they go oh yeah that's that place filled with a bunch of people who have done some time right <laughs> that's that church where Jesus is throwing a party for sinners and you're dang right it is hopefully forever amen One of the things that we've been doing during this series is bringing up um, a few people who have been a part of our church for a really, really long time so that we can give you all a chance to just kind of hear from them and hear where Vista came from and what Vista's been called to be. And so today we're going to bring up Jade Pierce. Jade has been at our church for a really, really long time. Uh, Jade partners with this ministry that we partner with called Jesus Said Love. It's a ministry that goes into strip clubs and shares the unconditional love of Jesus with the people Thank you, Scott, who danced there. So y'all give Jade a hand. Hey, so first off, and probably on behalf of everybody, how dare you? How dare you go into a strip club? Aren't you worried that like the, the, the sin of the dancers is going to rub off on you or something? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's really funny to to us to think about God being at work already in a strip club if we're not already there, but um, he's there already. The women that we're meeting there uh, have God at work in their life already, and, you know, God is faithful to send people to them, so if I don't go, someone else will get to go, and I want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of God doing that. Fair enough. But why shouldn't we, like, wait for them to clean it up a little bit? before we go show them the love of Jesus? Like, shouldn't we make them clean up their act a little bit first? Yeah, I would say to that, uh, nobody waited on me to clean up my act, to come to me. Um, These are mothers, daughters, students, and, you know, they have um, needs just like the the rest of us. They are working, and um, so no, I mean, no, they should be here. And we should be there. And, you know, I didn't go to church a Christian. I left church a Christian. Mm, That's good. Um, Can you give us a story of the way you've seen God kind of work and transform somebody's life through your willingness to just not wait, just jump ahead and and not wait for somebody to clean up their act? 
Yeah, so uh, there's a woman named Summer who JSL headquarters in Waco, they love to talk about Summer because she had one shoe when they started working with her. That was all she had to her name. She has two feet, but <laughs> she just had one shoe. And um, Good clarification. They, they got her into rehab and um, got her, helped her clean up and, um, you know, get clean. And, and then she started her own juice bar out of her kitchen and she would deliver in her car and her car would break down sometimes she had to borrow a car to make her deliveries but now she owns a place called Luna Juice Bar in Waco and they work with Magnolia and have a lot of really cool stuff going on and she actually employs women who are coming out of the commercial sex industry and um, people who have done time, mm -hmm. and yeah. <laughs> so, and more personally for me, I think one of my favorite things is that every month when we go into the club, the women in there will say, the church ladies are here, the church ladies are here. <laughs> and they get to come to us and ask us for prayer, and they're always happy to see us. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that. Like so many times we wonder why people don't show up to church, but we're not going, willing to go meet them in their places. We yeah, expect absolutely. them to show up here. Yeah. So last question, um, as it pertains to this idea of Jesus being a friend of sinners, what's like a word that you, as someone who understands Vista and you've been here for a long time, would want to leave us with to make sure that we stay true to who God called us to be in the beginning? Yeah, I, I want everyone to feel welcome here. Um, I hope everyone here feels welcome this morning. I would hope that you would extend that feeling to other people. Um, if you're broken, if you're messed up, if you're a sinner and you walk into this church, you should feel welcome, you should feel loved, you should feel wanted. And I hope that we continue to do that because if we don't, I don't really think that's this stuff. Well said. Thank you, Jay. We're going to pray together. Gracious God, thank you um, for another day that we didn't deserve. We're grateful on this morning that you're a friend of sinners. Um, that you didn't wait on us to clean up our act because that would have never happened, that you took on flesh, you lived a fully human life. And in that 33 years that you lived, God, you surrounded yourself with sinners and sinners loved you. They loved to be around you because they knew they were loved by you. And so we all pause to just remind ourselves that we are the sinners that Jesus died for, that we're hypocrites, that we're liars, that all, all the above, we've done it all. And yet we're still loved unconditionally. And we pray that that same unconditional kindness that brought us to repentance, as Paul says, could bring a whole lot of other people to repentance because those of us who understand that we've been forgiven a lot are willing to forgive a lot. And so we pray that you would help Vista to be a place that's welcoming to all kinds of people. God, every broken sinner who can own that they're a sinner has a place here at the Vista. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to give ourselves a few moments to respond now. Uh, if you're new here, all that means is a few moments to slow down, let God kind of get beneath the surface and do the deeper work that God probably wants to do today. So you can respond by standing and singing, by sitting and praying, by coming forward to receive communion, the body of Christ that's broken for you no matter what you've done, the blood of Christ that was shed for you no matter what you've done. We've got stations at the front and in the back. Or maybe you need to respond by talking to somebody. Maybe someone that's clicked with you in a way deep in your heart we got some people in the back by the coffee bar, the orange lanyards on who would love to talk to you. Respond to whoever you want, but like we always say, you will never get this moment back. So be here where your feet are, and let's respond together.